politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, all that matters. And those of you yearning for the leadership we've been lacking for so many years. We try to provide it here at CR Podcast, Blaze Media. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for Tuesday, December 5th. And I want to focus on this theme of lack of leadership. Because until now, we've spent a number of years talking about how Republicans do not share our values on a lot of issues. And that's why they won't fight for it. But it is independently true that they lack a vision. They lack strategy. Uh, they lack energy, and there's no leader giving them any of that. Because even where we know they agree with us, we talked a lot about legal immigration yesterday. We know they don't agree with us on that. But the border, I think everyone's like, yeah, this is crazy. This can't go on. No one will deny that. Yet, here we are a year into GOP control of the House, and there's nothing. There's no pounding that lectern. We will not pass an NDAA or budget bill that does not contain these provisions. It's like, well, if you want Ukraine, we'll pair it against it. Meanwhile, never divulging to the public why Ukraine in itself is a problem, not just a bargaining chip. And then, of course, we have Israel and Iran, where really legitimately, universally, Republicans will be appalled by Iran and their proxies blocking the shipping lanes, you know, in the Straits by Yemen, uh, Biden's treatment of Israel. But nonetheless, they don't do anything with it. Even hearings certainly must pass legislation. So this is where we are. We don't get outcomes done. So I want to talk a little bit more about Today, the contrast of what the GOP is doing in Congress versus what we need to do, especially vis-a-vis national security, national defense, uh, whether it's the border, whether it's our uh, strategic assets around the world, not to referee Islamic civil wars, but to keep things like shipping lanes open. And Republicans wouldn't disagree with that. They just have no vision to do anything. First, our sponsor today. Uh, you know, a lot of people love free stuff. Remember the Obama phones, free phones? Well, Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider and our longtime sponsor, they are now giving free phones if you go and sign up for a plan today. A lot of times they charge you a lot of money these days, but they now offer free smartphone when you switch today. It's painless. You go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call their U.S.-based customer service team, 100% English speakers at 972-PATRIOT, and use promo code FRIDAY76. FRIDAY76, kind of every day, is Black Friday. FRIDAY76, you get a free smartphone, um, and it's easy. You could keep your phone number, and they'll walk you through it, and that way you'll be funding those who share our values, actually fund legal defense for uh, pro-life, pro-family, uh, Second Amendment sort of causes rather than giving to the big three that are basically owned by China. Again, patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT, offer code FRIDAY76. So I want to start off today with a contrast of what leadership does look like. Uh, at a recent campaign event, Ron DeSantis uh, was talking about this leadership point 
And he demonstrates that he gets it. He gets exactly where we are in this time. Take a listen here. And then, of course, being on the debate stage with their rising star the other night, uh, we were able to show uh, the country that freedom works uh, and that this leftism is doomed to failure. So I'm the only one running for president who beats these people time after time after time. And that's what we need. We are not going to succeed as the country uh, if the radical left is continuing to win against us in the in the policy arena. You've got to be willing to fight back, but you've got to be able to win those fights. I'm the only one that has a record of doing that, and I'm the only one that has a prayer of doing that as the next president of the United States. Because, you know, let's just be honest, when you go up there, uh, everyone's going to be against you. The media is going to be against you. The, the bureaucracy is going to be against you. The left's going to be against you. Uh, the way you navigate that is you've got to be focused. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to have a strategic sense of how you're using uh, power, the levers of power, to be able to all bring this to a conclusion. And, and that's what I've done in Florida. That's what I'll do as president. And then the final thing that we need, we need leadership in this country. We have a devoid of leadership. You see it in Washington with what these guys are doing. You see it all across the country. Okay, folks, so you heard that leadership, discipline, focus actually beat the left. We won't succeed if, if they continue to win. You have to have a strategic sense of how you use the levers of power to bring it to a conclusion. But we're devoid of leadership, so we don't have that. What do I mean? Look. Look in Florida. And again, it's not that in a matter of five years he's made it a utopia, that there's nothing more to do. Of course, there's still bad things going on there. But relative to any other state, this is kind of the pathway that you need to embark on. Disney has basically lost all their lawsuits. They've given up. Many of you have probably seen Bob Igor, the uh, CEO. Well, he left and now he came back. So Bob... Talked about, yeah, you know, we're, we're having some problems here. We, we need to stay away from ideology. I mean, that's huge. What other major corporation has said that? We're all complaining, the woke, the this, the that, and we don't do anything about it. He fought them, Trump and the establishment, literally. This is where Trump and Nikki Haley merged together, attacked him, and he won. He won. That is what owning the libs looks like. That's what seeing it through looks like. Let me give you another example on education. This is from uh, AP Republicans. Where is this? Do I have the right thing here? Probably do not have. But um, a wave of tenured professors are now leaving Florida, okay, are now leaving Florida. Think about that. Think about that. That he is now going into the belly of the beast and, you know, not, not just K through 12, but higher education, and he's winning. So this is another thing. Every Republican talks about education, school choice, the woke, the DEI, we don't want that. Um, but nobody actually has a plan to change things up. 
It's from the New York Times. DeSantis' education policies in Florida drive out liberal-leaning professors. It's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like stumbling here because on my laptop, I can't get the New York Times article. I can get it on my desktop. But I'm going to quote you from Business Insider. Um, A swath of liberal-leaning professors, many of them holding high, highly coveted tenure positions, have felt increasingly out of place in the Sunshine State. New York Times reported that some of them are uh, pointing to the conservative administration of DeSantis for the reason of their departure. And they're now leaving. Neil Buchanan, an economist, legal scholar who specialized in tax policy, was recruited to, recruited to the University of Florida College of Law in 2019 in a tenure position. Now, four years later, he decided to head to Toronto. In a recent Justia article, he wrote, Florida Republicans have shown in every way possible that they want to get rid of people like me, <laughs> increasingly open hostility to professors and to higher education. The Times spoke with a dozen academics from a range of fields who had decided to leave Florida's public colleges or were doing so with many headed to Democrat-led states. This is what winning looks like. But we can't have nice things. We can't have nice things. So uh, that's, that's that. And then also on the redistricting front, some of you might have seen this on the redistricting front, Uh, A lower court went after DeSantis's maps, which are pretty much responsible for giving Republicans control of the House. And now the appeals court in Florida overturned it because he has appointed solid judges. And again, not just like the Kavanaugh types, but more Clarence Thomas types because he's, you know, he gets it. So this is what outcomes looks like. One of the things we're going to be working on, we have a month left to the legislative sessions. How do we take all of our grievances on our top issues on economy, green energy, border, crime, the training stuff, the culture, and biomedical security state, the political targeting from the feds? How do we take that to the next level and translate that into outcomes? Instead, what we have is a paralysis of initiative. Okay, that's what we have. So even where they, they, Republicans broadly agree on education, they broadly agree on the border at least, they broadly agree on Iran and, and you know Israel, but there's no initiative. And I want to get into that where you see that in Congress, but I just first wanted to give you an example of what is working. And of course, you know, that we can't have any any of that. Uh, because Mitha Trump, but uh, this is what it means to see it through. DeSantis wakes up every day. Nobody's perfect, and you know maybe one day he'll focus a little bit too much on this. Maybe we wanted to focus on that. But the point is, at least he recognizes what it's going to take, giving us proof of concept. So I want to get to some of the congressional stuff and national security, but first. Other sponsor today, we're back with Raycon, very important this time of year. Uh, A lot of you are looking for last-minute Christmas presents. This is a great one. Raycon is the only company I know of that makes quality audio products. Okay, earbuds we promoted a lot, but they make other products as well that for, for, for the non-quality prices. 
they they give you with their everyday earbuds 32 hour battery life perfect in ear fit so when i um travel you know go on a plane you, know, you have the rental car the, the the waiting in the airport and then the plane ride it's a lot of time there and it's always lasted for me perfect in-ear fit which is something with my you know sensory issues it's it's really works for me like i don't even have a watch i never wear a watch because i hate things on my body but that uh you know it, it just fits much better than my earpiece for media and now they actually have their power tech um, and Raycon Home, other other stuff that they're making. So, for example, they have Magic 180 charging cables that have hyperspeed charging. So they give you good battery life to begin with, but then you know works on your you know micro USB Type C devices, all that stuff. Rotates 180 degrees, built for durability. They even now make faucet filters, which are really good at removing all your contaminants and bacteria and chemicals in your sink water. Which that's something else we probably need to. Uh, deal with these days but you know i like listening to their you know with their earbuds to music when i'm really pissed off and after you listen to the show with your raycon earbuds you might want to um listen to some music as well so go to buyraycon.com slash conservative to get 15 percent off your entire raycon order perfect for last minute gifts this time of year buyraycon.com slash conservative for 15 percent off so folks I want to give you two quintessential examples of what Republicans are like, how there's a paralysis of initiative. They don't understand strategy. Even where they do the right thing, they'll do the right thing for the wrong reason. So first off, again, you can count on Republicans to find the exact wrong pretext to make the right move by – Cutting off visas, Rubio is leading an effort of five Republicans to cut off visas to China. I'm like, wow, that, that that's awesome. I mean, we have about 350,000 um, foreign students. We we give, I don't know, it's like 75,000 green cards a year. I, I mean, only America could think of this bullcrap that we're not just at war with China, but we're at war with China in an asymmetrical warfare where their modality of action against America is through subversion, and we award them with the status of the most foreign students and the second most green cards next to Mexico, it's it's, it's mentally ill. So I was waiting for someone to make the argument at a time where China is like a 90% issue in America. Okay, everyone hates China. Say, look, we, we can't crown them kings of our immigration system when they use that for spying and subversion and trade theft and all this stuff. Instead, they're like, we need to cut off travel. Why? Because of this new Chinese pneumonia. <laughs> so, the, 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 I mean, look, it's never a bad time to cut off visas from China, but this is like the worst thing because rather than holistically cutting off immigration from China, all that's going to do is lead to more biomedical security panic it's just so stupid, but this is what Republicans do. So that's number one. Then number two is the House plans to vote on a resolution basically saying that anti-Zionism is, basically, if you're anti-Israel, you're anti-Semitic. Now, while technically the two don't have to be true, practically they are because it is so absurd to side with evil that and make such exceptions that 
Jews are the only people who can't defend themselves, even after now, it kind of does, they are kind of won. But the point is, and I say this as someone who would be a beneficiary of, you know, fighting anti-Semitism, I don't need from Congress for some vacuous resolution. Biden is raping Israel now. Biden is siding with Iran, allying with Iran. The administration is saturated with Iranian spies. We have our ships being attacked in the Gulf of Aden, the the Red Sea Straits, and he's doing nothing about it. We have our troops are attacked by Iran when the troops shouldn't even be there. We have them siding with Qatar. We have them pushing a two-state solution. We have them funding UNRWA. We have them funding the Lebanese Armed Forces, which is Hezbollah. That's what they need to be focused on. Instead, it's like some stupid, vacuous resolution. Again, I agree with them. They're right. But even when they're right, they won't aim the gun to the target. It's just so weird. You have Mitch McConnell, who's like, we need a comprehensive approach to foreign aid and border security. So... Lang, uh, what's his name? Mike Johnson, the speaker, has finally put his foot down. He's like, look, I'm not going to give you more Ukraine aid unless you pass H.R. 2, which ends, you know, the fake asylum and that stuff. It's not perfect, but OK, it's something. I'd rather have give states the ability to enforce. That's the bigger thing. But OK, fine. James Lankford. OK, this is the big evangelical senator from Oklahoma, former Baptist pastor, state of Oklahoma. This is what he responds. H.R. 2 didn't get a single Democrat vote in the House. I have to get 20 Democrat votes here in the Senate. If the House is going to say that it has to be our bill that we got zero Democrats on, but I need you to get 20 over your body, that's irrational. That's not how things work. What are you talking about? He's like, I I can't get H.R. 2 passed. No, You attach it to the budget bill or the NDAA and you say we're not passing that. I don't need some stupid supplemental. He's trying to attach it to Ukraine funding. How about zero Ukraine funding and you attach HR2 and really state deportations to both the NDAA and to the, um, the budget bill. But instead, you don't even hear that from Mike Johnson. Forget about the Senate Democrats. And by the way, I'm hearing that they might want to attach FISA reauthorization to the NDAA. No, not not anything about uh, the border, but that's what they'll attach. And Tom Tillis said, that's good, meaning responding to to, uh, Johnson's very moderate position of, all right, I'll give you Ukraine, give me HR2. That's good. He'll get what we send him. Can you imagine that? Like, the enti- nearly the entirety of the Senate GOP conference, except for maybe, you know, 10 members, they side with the extreme left, even with everything going on, over a guy like Mike Johnson, who is kind of milquetoast. Senate Republicans are saying, if the House GOP strategy is HR2 or bust, that will guarantee the end of Ukraine aid. Well, that's kind of the point. How hard is it to, with everything going on on the border, okay? The border, Iran, China, 
to engage in a puddle budget fight over. You know, <laughs> let me give you an irony here. One of the things that they're always scared about with a government shutdown is, oh, the national parks will close. Yet here's the irony. That Biden is now threatening to use national parks to house illegal aliens. Can you imagine that? Republicans now have a standalone bill they want to push to prohibit that. But the point is, is it that hard to engage in brinkmanship? See, this is what I mean. We're not dealing with a Democrat party that, you know, of, of yesteryear where they evinced patriotism from FDR and even LBJ's era. They just want to help struggling people so people don't understand economics and it's hard to fight them on that. People become dependent. That, that's kind of what I grew up in when I started out in politics. Now it's just demonic. We're going to cut your balls off. We're going to take your money and your cars and your energy. We're going we're gonna to literally invade our country where everyone sees it. We're going to side with Iran. Is it that hard to fight? This is what's so bizarre. But we have a complete paralysis of initiative. And, and, and let's move on to that foreign policy now. So we, we now have, earlier this week, you had the USS Kearney was attacked along with some commercial vessels in this, uh, you know, the, the, the straits headed into the Gulf of Aden. And this is becoming a regular thing. It's like the fifth or sixth time that the Houthis have done this. The Houthis are a bunch of goat effing nothings. We could wipe them off the map in three seconds. So Biden is doing the worst of all. Iran is attacking. They attacked Israel. Iran attacked Israel. That's what it is. Then Iran attacked our soldiers over 70 times in Syria and Iraq. And then Iran, they're all different proxies. Houthis, Hezbollah brigades, other Shiite militias, Hezbollah to Israel, Hamas to Israel. Okay, all Iran. It's funny how the left is obsessed with Ukraine. Or, I guess in the aggressor way, obsessed with Russia, but not Iran. Very interesting. And again, that's that's part of a racial, it's a racial thing too. It's a it's a colonialist type of thing too because they view Russia as white but the you know Iran is is colored so to speak so um that's kind of where this 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 comes down but Iran is just screwing with us and Biden is has has refused to respond to any of it and not only not only that feeds Iran to Israel feeds Israel to Iran and worse, at least if you're going to cut and run, cut and run. Just get our troops out of there. But no, he leaves our troops on the ground, but doesn't respond. So they're vulnerable, sitting precariously flung, isolated, just sitting on the ground there. Our military is not cut out for that. But what our military is absolutely cut out for, I mean, we spend a trillion dollars a year on the military. We're debating this NDAA, $890 billion, $880 billion. Air power, sea power, because in the sea, nobody lives in the sea. So you don't have to referee Islamic civil wars, hold on to a population and insurgency. Water doesn't engage in insurgency. You could create a kill zone of a perimeter and say, Houthis cross that, you get zapped. We ha that, that, that's what we have the power to do, and we don't do it. 
but what we shouldn't be doing, leaving our soldiers in Iraq and Syria to defend the Shiite militias that are attacking us, that we continue doing. Even Politico spoke to a bunch of people off the record, and they were criticizing the admin people in DOD. If our ship sees something is coming near the or toward them, they are going to assess it as a threat and shoot it down. You'd be hard-pressed to find another time U.S. ships have been this challenged in the region. Um, retired Vice Admiral John Miller, former commander of the 5th Fleet, said, We're not taking this seriously. The attacks have gone largely unanswered. We're not deterring anybody right now. This is what Republicans need to deal with with the NDAA. Okay? If we, if we can't stop the closing of shipping lanes, then why do we spend this much money on the military? We spend money promoting a two-state solution, funding UNRWA, funding Hezbollah, funding Iran, funding Jordanian and Egyptian border security. Funding the PLO, funding Hamas. Oh no, humanitarian aid. But then our own ships, he won't do anything about it. In fact, they're maniacally focused on this. Can you imagine Iran's attacking your ships? And rather than holding them accountable, you side with Iran against Israel. There's an article in Politico how the Biden team is planning for a post-war Gaza Strip. They're obsessed with it. It's not normal. Like, just stay out of it. They've spent weeks quietly drafting a multi-phase post-war game plan that envisions a revamped Palestinian authority taking over the Gaza Strip. As you well know, the PA are just as genocidal. They have what's called the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades. Um, they were, took part in the attack and certainly supported. Um, and and that's that's where we are. By the way, even the State Department admitted that that. Hamas won't release some certain female hostages because of what they did to them and they don't want you know it to come out and then at the same time they side with them folks do, do you understand what the obsession is why are they obsessed what like this is what I don't understand the, the it's a tiny landmass with everything going on why the obsession with with Jews? Just leave it alone. Like I said, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't need anyone to help out or not. Just, just let Israel do what they want. Let them do their thing, and we take care of our, our assets. But instead, instead, it's like Iran could kill our guys, and we we focus all of our diplomatic capital on um on this. It's just, it's just unreal. But you know what? Maybe we'll, we'll, I think very appropriately now, now's a good time to bring on our next guest who I think might be able to shed light on this maniacal obsession. So today's interview segment is sponsored by our good friend, uh, Phil Robertson, The Blind, a Phil Robertson story. Ever wonder, you know, what's the story behind our eclectic friend? He's got a show on the blaze. Um, he, he, you know, he wasn't always the man he was and he has a real feel-good story of redemption that we're running here. Uh, if you go to blazetv.com slash theblind, you can get it for $19.99. Great uh, movie to sit down and watch with your wife, family, uh, especially this time of year. A lot more people need that story of redemption, and I think this is part of the storytelling that we hope to do on the network over time. Now, this is not technically our property, 
Uh, it, it, was, it wasn't our production, but it is accessible through the Blaze at blazetv.com slash the blind. Again, the blazetv.com slash the blind. So we're trying to figure out this maniacal obsession with screwing with Israel. It's like, okay, you're not sympathetic to them. It's not your thing. Fine. You focus on your other thing. You focus on defending our assets. Well, we love Iran, so fine. You know, we, we won't do that. We'll focus on transgenderism or whatever, something domestically that liberals are obsessed with. But why is the administration obsessed about getting Israel to commit suicide? And, and, and just what is this Iranian ideology? Like, why, why does it necessarily flow from liberalism? With us today is someone who has the answers to this, Benjamin Weingarten, longtime friend. You could follow him, B.H. Weingarten, on Twitter. He's the editor of Real Clear Investigations, great investigative reporter. He's senior contributor for uh, The Federalist, writes at a lot of other publications as well. And he has a great piece out on the Iranian spies in the administration at The New York Post. He also has a good substack to subscribe to. And a couple years ago, he wrote a book. Okay, and the title of it is literally what we're seeing. The title is, and you can still get it on Amazon, American Ingrate, Ilan Omer and the Progressive Islamist Takeover of the Democrat Party. Hey, Ben, thanks for joining us today for the first time here at Blaze Media. Daniel, it's a pleasure, and thanks so much for having me. All right, so yeah, let's, let's get right to that. What is with this ideology? So I, I, I understand Democrats like control, okay? They love fascism. That's why they love COVID fascism. They love to replace Americans. That's why they love the immigration. And I can even understand the Islamic immigration because it replaces Americans and it, it weakens the fabric of America. We understand that. But why are they so obsessed with Iran? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And in many ways, that's the question that has transcended the Obama-Biden administration, and now the Biden administration, which is really just a third term, a continuation with all the same personnel and all the same policies as well. The Obama-Biden agenda, and now the Biden agenda, was simply this. As opposed to Donald Trump, who implemented a maximum pressure campaign on Iran, the Obama-Biden team, and now Biden team, have implemented a maximum pressure campaign on Israel. Why is it that they want to realign so-called the Middle East so that Iran is the strong course as opposed to having a coalition of Israel and largely authoritarian Sunni Arab states standing as a bulwark against the world's leading state sponsor of jihad? There are many different ways we can explain this or we could rationalize it. You know, one would be that there is a notion on the left that if you appease and sort of like with China, engage in trade and economic activity with adversarial powers, that you can integrate them. And then over time that you can change them and foster a more stable region, in this case, the Middle East. Another aspect of it is straight up appeasement, that you can somehow bribe your way essentially out of being targeted by the world's leading state sponsor of jihad. But then another aspect of this is this notion which prevails on the left, 
that the West is more sinner than sinned against, that we are the oppressor par excellence against the other. It's sort of the Edward Said Orientalism view of the world. And so therefore, and I, I, this is what I would reframe it as, global equity demands that we give up the world to the world's most regressive, adversarial, tyrannical powers. And so that demands then that we make the Islamic Republic of Iran, which has been at war with us since the Mullahcrats took over from the original hostage crisis, making Iran the world's leading state sponsor of jihad, the strongest power in that region, as if that will somehow bring peace, so-called. Related to this is the idea shared by Islamic supremacists and propagandists for the Islamic supremacists that somehow Israel and then the U.S. are the real irritants in the region. And so if you just deal with so-called the Israel problem, then that, that, that will make the region somehow better for, I guess, U.S. national interest. But in reality, I don't believe our leaders are pursuing U.S. national interest. They are pursuing Iran's interest and specifically the Mullahs' interest. And that explains, in my view, really the entire policy for the region, the putting of the screws to Israel while at the same time doing everything possible to attempt to maintain the status quo of, again, working towards an Iran nuclear deal 2.0, and all the rest of the protections that we've seen from the Biden administration of Iran and its proxies, starting with de-designating the Houthis as a jihadist group, the coddling of Hezbollah in Lebanon, the non-enforcement of sanctions, so billions of dollars have flowed into the Mullah's coffers, the pursuit against all hope of an Iran nuclear deal 2.0, led by the likes of Rob Malley, the chief negotiator the first time around under Obama, and a whole slew of other policies in the region. Also, I should add, elevating Qatar, yes. which harbors Hamas's leaders, as a key go-between, key intermediary in both Iran negotiations with the unfrozen billions of dollars held in Qatari custody. And then, of course, with Qatar leading the so-called hostage negotiations. So all of that, in my view, I believe, flows from this idea of elevate Iran and its proxies put the screws to Israel, which is rooted in really a disastrous and detrimental and regressive worldview, which pervades across the left. But, but now it's taken on a step well beyond Israel. Forget about Israel. You now have the Houthis, as you noted, I forgot about that. They, they de-designated them. Um, they're attacking our ships daily, you know, international commercial ships. Uh, the USS Kearney came under fire. Uh, even even Politico was kind of surprised they they got four people on background from DOD to complain about uh, the lack of deterrent, and they engaged in hours-long firefight on Sunday uh, with the Houthis, and you know just to protect the ship. And yet, it's like, wait, are you going to feed our shipping lanes to them too? I mean, is there no backstop there? So my question to you is. Does that also, the shipping lane stuff, does that have to do with Israel too? Or is this part of some sort of alliance with Iran? And then I want to get into who is pushing these policies. I believe that there is almost no limit that Iran can hit in its aggression that will force an equal and opposite, let alone a disproportionate counter response 
from the Biden administration because I believe everything, its entire central focus in the region is to try to maintain and foster and grow the attempted status quo of effectively aiding, abetting, and enabling Iran's attempt to be the regional hegemon. So to your point, we've seen dozens of attacks in just recent weeks on U.S. military assets in the region, as well as, as you note now, and, and this has been going on, frankly, for several years now, but attacks by Iranian proxies on commercial vessels in the region. Everyone's, everyone bandied about how the Biden administration is going to bring two massive carriers into the region and that this is supposed to be a deterrent to Hezbollah and other forces. And yet we've seen attack after attack after attack on U.S. assets and the assets of other allies and partners, the commercial ones and military ones. Why? Why is this the case? Well, because those carriers, in my view, were actually meant to deter an Israeli attack yep. against Iran's proxies, namely Hezbollah from the north, which, by the way, poses an infinitely greater threat to Israel than Hamas does ultimately. Destroying Hamas is a necessary yep. but insufficient, ultimately, response to Iran's aggression and the threats building. And Hezbollah, of course, also threatens U.S. assets, not only in that region, but right here at home as well. There have been any number of prosecutions brought against Hezbollah agents in the U.S. who wish to do us harm here. They obviously operate in our backyard as well in Latin America and pose a real serious threat to the homeland on top of other proxies as well. So to your point, I think the dozens of attacks and the lack of anything remotely resembling much beyond, you know, cosmetic attacks or, you know, the administration is touting this attack by the USS, by U.S. assets, a preemptive attack, the first uh, of late that killed five Iran-linked militants, I believe, in Iraq. Uh, it's totally not proportionate in the wrong direction. It's the converse of we are going to assassinate Qasem Soleimani yep. in response to a threat to the hair on one head of a U.S. soldier in the region. And frankly, I am concerned. I think that our assets are sitting ducks, military assets that, and That's what I wanted to get to. Well. So, so you, you talked about the fact that they want to feed the Middle East to Iran. But I think it's worse than that. I would rather just stay home, pull everything out now. You know, you, you got to protect the shipping lanes, but they're not protecting the shipping lanes. But on the other hand, it's the worst of all outcomes. They leave our soldiers precariously flung out in Syria and I, I ran, Iraq, ironically protecting the very people who attack our guys from the Sunni insurgency. Why Why is the Biden administration keen on doing that? If, if they just want to kind of feed a tyrant, why don't they get out of there? Yeah, it's, it's, it's inexplicable. Uh, the question has been asked, by folks like Joe Kent, for example, he's raised this any number of times. You know, why do we have our diplomatic facilities operating in these regions? You are asking for yep. Benghazi 2.0, if not something worse. The, the Lebanon uh, it, and Baghdad, you know, Beirut and Baghdad embassies. We spent a billion dollars on it. It, it. It's inexplicable to me. I'm sure that the folks working at those facilities, were they to be candid, would say, look, we have intelligence here. There's some coordination with putatively pro-U.S. forces. Better to have a footprint and some presence than not. But it is setting us up for catastrophe. And wouldn't that all be shocking to see that catastrophe within the next year, obviously, in the run-up to an election as well? So one of the things that I think shocked everyone 
since October 7th is when you think of constituencies of the left, you think of the homosexual agenda with the rainbow jihad, you think of the illegals um, and that whole kind of open borders cabal there. You think of obviously the Marxists and the labor union bosses, but Islam is just kind of, okay, maybe it's a periphery thing, kind of a racial thing. So they'll always side with them. But man, their stranglehold on the party is is unbelievable. You wrote about this. Where does that come from? I mean, it's it's just really bizarre. They obviously hate religion, right? Here, it's you know any whiff of religion they hate. But then when you have the most uh, um, heavy-handed religion, <laughs> they seem to embrace. This is intersectionality in action, and what it reveals is that. Ultimately, intersectionality is about total power. Islamic supremacists and their fellow travelers and useful idiots and dupes, of course, on their face, culturally, it's totally anathema to the vast majority of groups who comprise the left's coalition. But where are they united? They are united in their view that the Judeo-Christian West and, of course, conservatives in the U.S. and beyond the U.S. are the greatest stumbling block to total power and the, uh, the ability for their shared agenda of total control, but which would look vastly different uh, under each of the two powers or forces, uh, we are the biggest stumbling block to it. Conservatives are. Conservative policy is. So consequently, they set aside their differences, and this is how you can explain in part, by the way, how you have Ilhan Omar, for example, she goes out and uh, marches with the LGBTQ community, pissing off, by the way, many of her own uh, Somali-born constituents in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities area, as I found out when I visited, when I was writing that book you mentioned, American Ingrid. They are willing to set aside their differences and then duke it out, I think, ultimately, to the extent uh, they prevail over the Judeo Christian West. Now, in the narrow term, and well, why is the Biden administration so focused on let's ignore the massive uptick in Jew hatred in America and pivot to Islamophobia? Why is it holding these struggle sessions at the State Department and permitting and even celebrating in some ways these dissent cables signed by hundreds of U.S. government officials saying you got to impose a ceasefire, i.e. you have to impose an Israeli loss after a Holocaust-level attack inflicted by Hamas. Well, I think ultimately the crude political explanation setting aside the shared ideology is the marginal voter in Dearborn, Michigan matters. That is the difference potentially between a victory for Democrats in 2024 and a loss for Democrats in 2024. And of course, it extends beyond that to not just majority Muslim or large Muslim population, largely urban areas in swing states and non-swing states, but also obviously college students in locales across the country, who it's going to be imperative for Democrats to get out to vote, to win in very hard fought uh, and closely fought races. So all of that points to a political imperative for the administration and Democrats to go along with what amounts to a wholly anti-American agenda. And that even transcends, of course, the ideological shared worldview, which I think does prevail regardless. But the crude politics of it alone forces the Democrat Party 
to take a position that is, again, ultimately the anti-American position. So these people are not just the animals rampaging in the street chanting free Palestine, but they control the highest levers of government and, and particularly the Muslim Brotherhood and Iranian aligned elements control DOD, state DHS, um, and, and really have for in some elements before 9-11, we've had them, but certainly through the Obama administration. Could you talk about some of the cast of characters that are running foreign policy and even defense in this admin um, and, and how they're not just appeasers of Iran. They're literally Iranian assets. It, it, it's really remarkable. And, you know, just the tip of the iceberg I disclosed and wrote about in the New York Post, as you alluded to, uh, and what kind of ticked me off and got me to motivated me to write this piece was that there was this reporting on Amy McFadden, who's a senior intelligence official at the CIA. She is the associate deputy director for analysis, one of the top three people at the CIA for overseeing all of the intelligence that is disseminated across the agency. And two weeks after the October 7th attack, McFadden apparently changed her Facebook image, main Facebook image, to essentially a pro-Palestine propaganda image, uh, an individual you know, waving a Palestinian flag in a kafia pattern shirt, which is you know, essentially a reference to so-called solidarity with the Palestinian resistance, kafia, of course, popularized by the PLO terrorist-in-chief Yasser Arafat. And then others did some digging into McFadden's background, and previously, apparently, she posted a selfie with a sticker saying Free Palestine superimposed on the same photograph. This is a top three person overseeing all intelligence that's disseminated across the agency. A person who formerly was responsible for overseeing the production of the president's daily brief. And, and this, and this is was someone... her response to the Holocaust that took place. It wasn't, see, what you're describing, it's not appeasement. That's, you're siding with it. Um, this is not, the old appeasement was like, yeah, you know, we got the Saudi oil back when Saudi Arabia was kind of the Iran of the region. So, you know, we're scared of, uh, you know, economic issues. So Israel's going to have to bite the bullet. That was the old age pressure Israel appeasement stuff. This has nothing to do with it. This is ideological. Um, they downright support these guys. So she's there. Talk about this Tabatabai character. Yep. So Ariane Tabatabai was someone who was brought into the Biden administration by none other than the aforementioned Rob Malley. So before we get to Tabatabai, quickly on Malley. Maui is someone who, during the 2008 presidential campaign for Barack Obama, had to be suspended from the campaign from advising it when it leaked that he had conversations with Hamas leaders. Uh, <laughs> Maui has made a career, basically, out of negotiating with our worst adversaries. Barack Obama would bring him in later to serve as the chief negotiator to negotiate Iran deal uh, 1.0, which, of course, was all about flooding the coffers of Iran's laws with tens of billions of dollars, legitimizing their nuclear program, and ultimately legalizing it once that deal's provisions sunset. Uh, Mali himself worked at this place called the uh, International Crisis Group, so-called, which, again, that's where his con communications connections with Hamas really stemmed from and flowed from. Mali himself has a long history of being 
you know, on the wrong side of basically all of these issues. Uh, comes from a family which was very close with Yasser Arafat and these other regressive forces. And Mali, by the way, of course, was a, a high school classmate of Tony Blinken. One of the reasons I think he was brought back to State Department wow. under the Biden administration to negotiate. And I, I second Iran deal, Iran deal 2.0. Mali himself lost his security clearance purportedly around uh, his mishandling of classified documents in the last year and is now under FBI investigation in connection with uh, that the mishandling of classified documents. But again, this is someone who is negotiating Iran deal 2.0. So you can imagine potentially how dangerous it was that this person who has sided with, as you noted, Muslim Brotherhood-linked forces and then negotiated the ultimate appeasement deal with Iran's mullahs is under investigation by the FBI and had a security clearance suspended. While at International Crisis Group, he was president of it during the Trump years, and several of his associates there were individuals implicated in the ultimate Iranian influence operation, something called the Iran Experts Initiative, which was an Iran regime-linked project to essentially use soft power to influence policies across the West. And so they recruited assets who coordinated with them on mess messaging, including testifying before Congress. One of the individuals who went, who was under this IEI, Iranian Experts Initiative, and implicated in this firing was Ariana Tabatabai. Mali brought Tabatabai into the State Department, the Biden State Department, in connection with his job as special envoy to Iran, negotiating this Irando 2.0. She ends up leaving the State Department then to go to DOD where she serves as chief of staff to the Pentagon's assistant secretary of defense for special operations, where she has a very high level security clearance. Of course, when you're talking about DOD special operations, Tabata by herself recently became a U.S. Reserve Naval Intelligence Officer. This is a person implicated in this Iranian spying, brought in by Rob Malley, who coordinated, it appears, in messaging with the Iranian regime. So she serves at a high level at the State Department under Mali, and now at Department of Defense. She has retained her security clearance despite the fact that she is supposedly being investigated. She was allowed to become a U.S. Reserve Naval Intelligence Officer. God knows how compromised we are just by her sitting in this position alone. And we still don't even know how she got a security clearance in the first place given her past ties. What? No. We have very few answers on this with Tabata by These are a few of the compromised people, and there are others in the administration as well. So, so uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's a whole litany of them. But with Tabata by I'm just stupefied by this, because this is not just a matter of, oh, we have people in the State Department working with Hamas, giving over Israeli intelligence to their enemies, which I'm sure they're doing. But this is our own guy. So, you know, when you saw that picture of the Delta operators that were revealed by the White House. And then you think, well, the chief of staff of the assistant secretary for special operations is an Iranian spy. I mean, this is just unbelievable. So this leads me to what I started the show out with is we're Republicans. So, you know, my whole career, I've been dealing with Republicans that they don't really support the right values on immigration, on crime in recent years at least, on social values for sure, on you know, limiting government, cutting spending, forget it. You know, and there's reasons. Some of it is cronyism, some of it they're scared, they want to be called names. Okay. 
But when it comes to things like Iran and Israel, legitimately, on paper, all Republicans are united and, and they genuinely are on the right side of it. But why is this not like a hair on fire mo- moment just with the Tabata Bai thing alone? Are you he- seeing hearings or anything from McCall at Homeland Security or uh, Rogers at Armed Services? I mean, anything? At this point, we're at the uh, tersely worded letter portion Got of it. the Republican response. There were, uh, ru- it was rumored that James Comer. Uh, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, was potentially going to subpoena for documents pertaining to uh, Rob Malley and why he uh, lost his security clearance, how Tabata Bai got a security clearance, and more broadly, kind of the compromise or potential compromise related to those two individuals. Uh, those subpoenas, it's my understanding, uh, have not been issued at this point. So to your point, you know, I think the broader the broader issue is this. Republicans have power in the House. That is the one place where they could truly effectuate a massive difference here. And then in the Senate, of course, you know, you can hold up confirming people. Uh, obviously, the control of the purse is, a, is your massive lever on top of the oversight and the ability to issue subpoenas and such. So the case needs to be laid out to the American people this administration is pursuing a policy that is, in effect, our enemies as policy. We have all of these individuals who have been implicated in uh, as being compromised figures. The policies themselves, even absent the compromised figures, are the same as the Obama-Biden policies, which have the effect of making America the world's leading state sponsor of the world's leading state sponsor of jihad in Iran, and of course also facilitating the funding of the PA and in Gaza, which of course flows into Hamas, of elevating Qatar, making it, designating it, uh, just as it de-designated the Houthis as a terrorist organization, uh, designating Qatar as a major non-NATO ally, so on par, doctrinally, with Israel. Put all of these policies together. Why wouldn't you use the full force you have, at minimum within the House, to hold their feet to the fire? And again, on the Senate side, on the confirmation part of this, there are levers that can be pulled. So the question to the Republicans would be, why wouldn't you pull all those levers, knowing that ultimately our security, our basic security here is imperiled as a consequence of the personnel and the policy that has flowed from that person? Yeah, because it's not just an Israel thing. When, when they're feeding our ships to the Houthis, there's something bigger going on there. And, and you're right about the confirmation. I mean, they need 60 votes. Uh, Chuck Schumer just fired, f- filed cloture on Elizabeth Richard, the former uh, American ambassador to Lebanon, who is literally a Hezbollah asset, um, you know, big, very instrumental behind our policies, funding the Lebanese armed forces, a.k.a. Hezbollah and uh, Lebanon's ISF, and, you know, which we now know played a key role in blinding I- Israeli intelligence using U.S. assets. Uh, so they you know, didn't understand what was going on in the lead up to October 7th with the training in Lebanon. And, you know, they need what is it? They need about eight Republican votes. So, I mean, this is something that should be pretty easy to do. But it's like I look at every year. The NDAA is all about two things. It's about how much money we're just going to throw at the military, even though it's an authorization bill and we should discuss policies. 
and then it's just a matter of like process. Okay, how do we expedite things? Expedite, and there's no vision on any of this. So you have these nerdy resolutions. Oh, I love Israel, or you know, anti-Zionism is is, is anti-Semitism. It's just like it's it's just nonsense. It's so sad because I don't think any Republican is happy about any of this. They would oppose it. But the American people, if they would hear your presentation today, I think it would be an 80-20 issue. But, you know, alas, Ben, it's like everything else. Give you the last word before we sew up. Yeah, look, I think that you lay it out that the administration, in effect, is aiding, abetting, and enabling our enemies, our Islamic supremacist enemies, and that's the Muslim Brotherhood as the tip of the spear of the Sunni jihadist side of the equation and all of its offshoots, and then Iran and then all of its proxies. They threaten not only our allies in the region, U.S. military assets and diplomatic assets in that region, but they also threaten us in our backyard and they also threaten our homeland as well. Shouldn't the bare minimum of policy be that you expose and you root out personnel who are literally compromised and on the other side, that you withhold funding for the detrimental policies to American life and limb, that you zero out funding for every single institution that works against American life and limb. And I'm speaking there, of course, to you know, the UN and, and many related yep. uh, sub-entities and other entities. Literally, literally participated in the hostage taking and all that stuff. Precisely. This is the bare minimum. Don't aid, abet, and enable your enemies. That's the starting point. Then we can talk about controlling the policies, but the, but the first thing is do no harm. There should be a do no harm policy, and Republicans should use whatever levers they have to to impose that policy, or yep. if they can't impose it, to expose for the American people just how disastrous it is. No, amen, and that's the thing. It's not like we're talking about immigration here. Let's face it, very few Republicans support reducing immigration, including the maniacally suicidal Middle East immigration. So that that I kind of know where it's coming from. But here on paper, they they agree with us. I think they would. They do. But they don't do anything with it. We have a paralysis of initiative. But I think you're you're doing very amazing reporting on this and many other things at uh, Real Clear Investigation. So where could people find more about you? Yep, I'd recommend my Substack, winegarden.substack.com. I've got a newsletter there, so all my columns and media hits and such, I disseminate there. And then on Twitter, as you noted, at BH Winegarden. And then I would point folks to the book I wrote, American Ingrate, to, to literally talk my book here. But American Ingrate lay it out precisely, I think, what has happened yep. in terms of the takeover of the Democrat Party and the left by these forces. If you want to know why the streets are overrun by pro-Hamas, and anti-Israel and anti-American sympathizers, and how that same worldview extends up to the highest echelons of the Biden administration. My book explains both the theory and the practice of how we ended up in this calamitous scenario right now. It didn't happen overnight, and we had warning. Very, very ominous book and very appropriate for this time. Folks, if you have questions for Ben, as always, email me, danielhorowitz at startmail.com. Thank you, Ben, for joining us, and thank you all, and God bless you all. See you all tomorrow.